Right now, you can get both Sprint's Unlimited plan and the iPhone XR with its amazing camera included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after monthly credit supplied within two bills. If canceled early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic. After 630-20, pay $32 a month per line with AutoPay. Data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Right now, you can get both Sprint's unlimited plan and the all-new Samsung Galaxy S10 included for just $35 per month per line for five lines. All you need is approved credit and 24-month installment billing. No trade-in required. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800-SPRINT-1. Phone $15 a month after $22.50 a month credit apply within two bills. If cancel early, remaining balance due. Unlimited basic after 630 20 Pay $32 per month per line for five lines with auto pay data deprioritization during congestion. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Yes, Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, and don't you worry, listeners. You've gotten your wish. Armand Kafai is no longer on the show. He's been sacked. Just like a ton of managers. Arsene Wenger in particular should be. No, I'm just kidding. Armand Kafai's got the week off. Joining us is the one and only Jake Watroba. He's been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, but he's finally making his debut for for us. Welcome, Jake. How's it going? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for uh, letting me uh, step in for Armand. Armand will keep the... I guess the mic warm for you when you come back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Armand really likes really likes to be up on that mic. Don't worry, Armand. I'm not replacing you. You, you got big shoes to fill, so uh, <laughs> you stop can come with back the kind words. Let, be yeah. honest, Jake. Don't don't fake. Don't be fake. <laughs> it's okay. Those shoes are quite small. Um, <laughs> no, uh, welcome to the show, Jake. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. What you've done. Uh, I uh, well reside in st paul minnesota um yes. i guess you could say i'm a big loons fan go mm-hmm. go minnesota united yeah I, I, i've written for a couple different websites um none none soccer actually which is um which i don't know if ironic's the right word but i i you know i have featured in nfl trade rumors.co no i'm happy to be joining up with you guys uh it's, it's a really really cool project we have going on here and I'm, I'm exciting i'm excited with how things are are turning out absolutely well on today's episode we are talking to rob stone and we talked to him about his upbringing with sport kind of his career and how he's really been around this sport all his life um i think a lot that's shocked to a lot of people we talk about pro rail the u.s presidency the direction of soccer soccer culture um and and it's just a fascinating interview because you find out a lot of stuff that you typically would not have known from this individual just seeing him covering so many sports thinking oh he's a sports guy and not a soccer guy when in fact he's a soccer guy and then a sports guy yeah you you almost get i don't know about you but sometimes with some of these soccer host on tv you, you kind of think that they were just forced into yeah. that role 
Yeah. You, you know, some well, somebody has to do it at ESPN, right? So I guess Bob Lee, you're the guy. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it turns out, you know, and I don't want to say Bob Lee's on a soccer guy because I think Bob Lee probably is a soccer guy, but Rob Stone is a soccer guy. He's soccer first, and then he's yeah. I know one hundred percent college basketball next or you know whatever. So it it was it was cool to learn about Rob and his career path. You know where he's been, um, and it, it, it's yeah, it's it's nice to to know that there's people in the media who are as passionate about the game as we are. Oh, absolutely, and I I think one big question in the interview was: Has he supported a candidate for the U.S. Soccer presidency? Well. Take a listen, find out. Joining us right now is the jack of all trades, Rob Stone. Rob grew up playing soccer and was an all-state and all-conference midfielder during his time at Coldgate University. His television career began at ESPN in 1992 as a production assistant working on programs such as SportsCenter and Outside the Lines. In 1996, began doing work with The Beautiful Game as an analysis for the Tampa Bay Mutiny on Sports Channel Florida, now Fox Sports Florida. Since 96, he has covered many different aspects of the game as a host analysis, which includes World Cups, FA Cups, Champions League, MLS, the men's and women's national team, World uh, Copa America, and much more. You see him all the time on Fox as a lead studio host for all of Fox Sports Soccer, college football, and college basketball programming. Welcome to the program, Rob. All right, Steve, Jake, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, Rob. You know, on numerous occasions, we've seen you wear the uh, the MLS sport coat with all the badges on it. Uh, it's, it's very Don Cherry-esque. <laughs> what was the inspiration behind that? Uh, well, it was given to me. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll even go a step further back. Somebody gave it to one of my bosses at Fox Soccer, and uh, I guess the question was posed between the two of them. Hey, do you think Rob would, would wear this uh, on the air? And I believe it was like a, a decision day, Saturday or Sunday, one of those days where everybody was kind of playing at the same time uh, near the tail end of the regular season. And um, it looked just stupid enough to be absolutely perfect. Uh, so <laughs> I completely embraced it. Um, I'm, I'm more of a, my size is kind of like a medium. Mm. So uh, those, those sport coats are kind of one size fits all. So what you didn't see were a lot of uh, clothespins um, kind of tightening everything up. So it didn't <laughs> look like it was a, uh, uh, a, like a picnic table cover on me. Uh, and I love it. It makes me laugh. Uh, it puts a smile on my face. It, it puts me in a, in a happy place because it a it's silly, but b it's it's representative of you know where Major League Soccer has come, where American soccer has come in this country, um, where you can actually wear a ridiculous sport coat that's got all the logos of all the teams on it. And uh, frankly, I'm hoping MLS can update me with a new one uh, that has the LAFC logo on it for this oh. year. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, but let's let's talk about your your growing up age. What brought you to the sport? Uh, my parents, you know, when I was a young kid, uh, growing up in North Carolina, uh, soccer was, you know, barely heard of, and it was kind of one of those up and coming sports. And my dad was in the university system and had read about it and educated himself about it and said, this sounds like a, a great sport. I'd love to have my kids involved in athletic, um, you know, for, for the most part, you know, lacking, um, violence 
And so they just kind of signed me up for rainbow soccer in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I just never really looked back. I, I really took to the sport. I enjoyed the, the constant movement. Uh, I loved the team camaraderie and, uh, it ended up getting me a job, which is really amazing. And Rob, after, after playing and getting uh, your degree in English, you got into TV. What's the experience been like seeing a sport you played from the media side of things? Well, um, you know, I, I don't think I really had aspirations, uh, logistic or uh, feasible aspirations that I would be able to make a living in soccer, you know, to a point I do right now. But back then when I was coming out of college, you know, there were only uh, maybe really a handful of soccer jobs in the country, period, and, and, and even fewer that involved television on a full-time basis. So uh, it was an infant. It was a baby. It was a pet project for people at, at networks like ESPN. Um, and, and the beauty is that I, I was there at a stage where it was in the absolute basement, maybe even sub-basement. And uh, I got to see it kind of grow and be part of those, those early footsteps that were made uh, at a network like ESPN to kind of bring soccer out of the caves and, and to the masses. And, and that's tremendously satisfying. And I think in the end, when I look back to how my career went, you know, that's going to be one of the most satisfying things mm. uh, outside of the, the great friendships I made is the fact that uh, I got to see this uh, move from a niche sport to an absolute mainstream sport and a juggernaut um, in the international scope of conversation, particularly in broadcasting for a majority of the year, not just once every four years for a world cup, but you know, you, you go on to web pages now and chat rooms and, um, podcasts and television shows and there's soccer everywhere year round. Uh, there's a brief holiday break and that's about it. So, uh, back then it was maybe a couple events a year that you would look forward to. And now, uh, you almost need a you need a vacation from the sport because it's constantly around you. <laughs> right. Did you ever think soccer would come to the point we're at today? I, you know, I don't know how much I really thought about it, to be honest with you, when, when you're young uh, and just constantly grinding and, and trying to work at your craft. Uh, it was more about perfecting yourself and, and what you do and, and how to get yourself better and move up the food chain. But there were clearly you know, big stretches of frustration of, Hey, this is, this is great. Why don't these people uh, take this more seriously? Why don't they devote more time and resources uh, to this wonderful game and this product? Um, you know, I, I, the first world cup I worked was 1998 and um, it was an amazing experience. And so much of it uh, that I took away from that, that summer in France stays with me and, and I utilize it on a daily basis. But I do remember saying, man, this is a, this is a bunch of, this is kind of like a bad news bears outfit being sent out there with mm. not a lot of money uh, and not a lot of expectations. And it's, Hey, you guys and gals go get them. Best of luck. We'll be back here in Bristol and, and, and hoping you guys exceed expectations, which we did. And you, know, you can just see the, the growth of the world cup television product right. through the years it, in this country. It's, it's really dramatic. But back then in, in 98, it was, you know, it was, I you almost felt like you were um, parachuted into France and it's uh, survive for a month and, and somehow find your way across the border and get back to the United States. Good luck, men and women. What, what moment did you th realize the soccer had, you know, made it? I, I don't know if it's the moment that I realized soccer made it, but it, it was the moment where I think a lot of things just started registering for me and it, and it gave me a chance to, to kind of sit back in the chair and, and, and be amazed as, as a soccer fan and as a soccer broadcaster and, uh, that was covering the 2002 
World Cup um, at that time. Our, our studio was based in Charlotte, North Carolina, covering a tournament in Japan and Korea. Uh, so needless to say, we were working on a different time schedule uh, than the greater Charlotte uh, metropolitan area was. And, and really, for that, that matter, the entire United States, you know, and that was the tournament where uh, videos started coming out of people getting up at these insane hours and, and hosting these watch parties and, and having beer for breakfast and gathering it at pubs and bars and waving flags and ranting and yelling like lunatics at uh, hours where, you know, the coffee hasn't even been brewed yet. And, and these videos started coming in from our country, not just the New Yorks and the LAs and the Chicago's, the, the big cities, but like the Lincoln, Nebraska's and San Antonio's and Phoenix and Florida's and things like that. And, and I remember seeing those come in and that was my moment where I sat back and said, holy cow, uh, the, the script has, has changed. Um, and no one was expecting this and we need to embrace it. And I think everybody saw that, you know, we on the TVN clearly did, mm-hmm. uh, the, the marketers out there, the big companies that want to spend money, money to be associated, um, with a product like soccer, they, they all woke up and, and I think the joke was over, you know, for mm-hmm. years I dealt with an industry that saw soccer as, as an easy punchline, um, an easy joke, uh, take a little jab at the guys from South America rolling around on the field after a blatant dive or, um, something like that. And, and that was kind of the tournament where it stopped and it was complete. Um, I wouldn't say complete, but pretty close to complete respect for the sport and the athletes um, and what is demanded of them and, and what the sport really is in the history of it. Cause for far too long, um, you know, there were, there were out of touch generational people that were in charge of sports coverage, whether it was newspaper or radio or television, and they just didn't get soccer and they didn't care for right. soccer and they didn't want to get it. And they really had a closed-minded approach to it. And that was the year where I think the masses spoke up and said, no more. <laughs> you know, we're, we're seeing it in Hollywood this year. Uh, but if you go back to O2, that was kind of the American soccer voice saying, no more. Um, so we're going to stand up. We're going to be seen. We're going to be heard. And we're mm-hmm. going to be respected. Mm-hmm. Rob, let's, let's dive into uh, U.S. soccer. Uh, right now, there's MLS expansion. You have the NASL lawsuit and the potential uh, of folding of the league. U.S. soccer presidency from, you know, the creation of NISA to, you know, Christian Pulisic. Is he, you know, the first ever world-class star we've produced as a country? Uh, what do you make of the situation we are in? Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if it's a, quite a tipping point, uh, but it's certainly a, a juncture in American soccer history. Where I think we're going to look back and say uh, th- this was a moment where the, the reset button was hit. Um, or, or at least some major tweaks for the benefit of the game as a whole were made. I think for far too long, um, this sport in this country was, was running um, in, a, in a closed door type fashion, not a lot of transparency and, and very few people making decisions. And, and I understand why, because a, there, there just weren't that many people that really cared or invested in it. And you know, you don't have to go back too far to remember the days where Phil Anschutz was essentially propping up MLS. Um, and with, if MLS folded, you know, who knows what else was going to go? And, and you know, right. what, what is the relevancy of U.S. soccer national team um, without MLS? And, and it goes on and on and on. Um, and so I think at that point, you know, uh, power amongst a few um, had to have been put in place for survival's sake. Uh, I think we've now survived, and I think we're thriving right now, and it's time to, to, 
to maybe reassess the way things uh, are being run, Mm -hmm. um, whether that's from up top with the U.S. soccer presidency down to how coaches are being coached to coach our kids and and how we're finding talent and and what really matters. Um, You know, it it, it was a huge major letdown not qualifying for the World Cup, and and sometimes those those bitter loads um, are, are what enable you to get back to the heights that you, you need to be at and you want to be at. And um, as painful as that moment was, as painful as that night still resonates with me, um, I, I do see um, a half-full-glass approach from it in that I, I think it's going to offer us an opportunity to make things better. Um, you know, it's, it's like looking at I'm, – I'm a bit of an environmentalist, so you know, I look at like electric cars out here in California, and I just say, why doesn't everybody have them? Why are they so damn expensive? You know, at some point that's going to tip and everybody's going to say, of course we're driving an electric car. You know, why would we want to, you know, burn all these, all these fuels and it costs so much and it's costing, you know, X, Y, and Z, things like that. There's just a common sense approach to a lot of things. And I think we're at a very uh, common sense moment for U.S. soccer. Uh, I don't know how radical the changes are going to be going forward, but I think there's going to be enough enough whether it's big surgeries or or minor uh cleanups that the game men's and women's professional amateur collegiate youth is is going to uh be put on a on a better more streamlined direct path well rob you've covered the game obviously internationally you've hosted i think it was uh 2013 the champions league at wembley you've obviously 1998 world cup you did broadcasting for the 06 world cup traveled america Culturally speaking, is American soccer there? Because I feel like the culture of U.S. soccer and just club soccer here in America is unlike anything we've seen as far as the major sports. Uh, when you say, is it there, what defines there? Well, I would say in the sense that soccer is here in America. Like we've talked about earlier in this interview, how I asked you, has it arrived? Uh, I've heard radio right. personalities say that no, soccer is dead because we failed to qualify for the World Cup. How uh, levels of, of NFL, college football, NBA? No. Um, but damn, we're close, and, and we're closer than we've ever been. And, you know, there's a lot of different metrics people can look at, and you can make your, your argument based mm-hmm. on that. But if you start looking at attendance numbers, of just kind of mm-hmm. MLS or national teams or, or big tournaments that come to our country, look, that, that's on par. You know, that, right. that's fine. That, that, that works. That, that fits in. Um, to, to the fact uh, that you want to say we've, we've arrived. You look at the television ratings, not across the board, but certainly for some of these major events, absolutely. Uh, there's, uh, the marketers understand it. Uh, you know, the, the television space is there. But is it in our daily conversation? You know, look, I don't believe in all these, uh, you know, the, the Fox Sports and the ESPN morning talk shows and debate shows. That's just not me. I'm not saying it's wrong or right. That's just not who I am. But you got to look long and hard to find a soccer conversation sure. somewhere in there, right or wrong, right or wrong. And it, until that gets kind of broken, um, and it might, you know, the World Cup this summer might change that. You know, the Women's World Cup win a couple summers ago, you know, tweaked it for a few days here and there. But in the end, they, they move on. So until it becomes a, more of a constant talking point, and it's as big of a talking point on a daily basis as it's ever been in our country, but we still realize that there, there's plenty of growth uh, to go, you know, there's still a lot of educating, um, to go out there, but you know, the kids these days know so much more about soccer, um, in their, you know, grade school years than I did really in college. 
um, that it's, it's hard to say that, you know, we haven't really arrived. And I, I really think this generation, these, these kids, the, my kids, <laughs> you know, I've got four kids, but I think it's that generation, that age group, really close to where you guys are, that, that is going to be that, that next tipping point because um, these kids have been raised with the game. They've been educated by their parents, uh, whether it's um, watching games or playing games or getting better coaching. They've all had it better than we've had it in the soccer conversation, and it's not even close. Mm-hmm. And I think when that age group becomes parents, um, everything changes because this is the age group that's not sitting around watching baseball games or wanting to play baseball or things like that. Yeah, I'm not yeah. knocking on baseball, but I'm just saying, you know, in an age where, you know, generations ago you grew up watching the St. Louis Cardinals on your, on your dad's or your grandfather's lap. And that's all you did all summer long and all spring. And you hope they made the playoffs. That doesn't happen anymore. Instead it's parents like me um, and, and in my generation, taking their kids to MLS games, taking them to NWSL, watching the world cup, watching the champions league, watching the Bundesliga. Um, and, and and that's changing the dynamic of this sport in in a way that I don't think enough people really give respect to. And Rob, I kind of want to uh, shift gears towards the uh, U.S. soccer presidency. Uh, many, including your uh, former colleague Eric Winalda, are calling to basically uh, open up U.S. soccer, have an open open system. We spoke with Peter Wilt on our latest episode. Uh, he created NISA. That league is he, he's trying to rival MLS with a uh, with a pyramid. Do you want to see pro rel in U.S. soccer? Would that be something that would benefit MLS? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of torn on that. And um, I think in the end, if I had a gun to my head, I would say no. I don't want to see it right now, just because I'm, I'm not convinced um, that we can handle it on so many different aspects. And and that's that's a, that's more of a business. And I'm not a business guy. Um, you know, I I. I I wholeheartedly cheer for, for teams in USL. Look, you're going to be hard to find a, a bigger fan of the Tampa Bay Rowdies in the media out there than me, you know, and, <laughs> and I, I have constant contact with NPSL teams like Providence city or, or Hartford city. You know, I, I, I follow these teams. I cheer for them. I want them to do well because I love it. It, it, it warms me. Um, it, it gives me this great hope. I buy their gear. I do what, what we can, but in the end, I don't know if, if there's enough, space for this top tier soccer league where teams come and go um, just because there are so many um, outside pressures and demands on these clubs that I'm not sure everybody is aware of that it's hard to properly compete. I mean, we're seeing it in MLS right now where there are the haves and the have nots right. and the have nots in MLS are still really wealthy people. Um, who still put in millions and millions of dollars into this investment. And that's not to belittle some of the smaller clubs in wherever you want to say across our country. But, you know, if you just take a team in, I don't know, I'm just going to say Des Moines, Iowa, for no reason at all. You know, do they have the resources? Do they have the money? Do they have the stadium? Do they have the population to support an MLS team? Um, you know, the TV markets and, and, the, and the marketers out there are going to say – I, no offense to Des Moines, but, you know, I need to be in Dallas. You know, I, mm. I need my product to be here, not here, to make, make a greater impact. Um, I love the passion of, of the pro-rel, um, at least the, the sane people in the pro-rel conversation, because there's some <laughs> crazy ones out there. Um, and, and I get it, and, 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 and I do understand um, 
you know, the fight to, to be with the big boys and why should we constantly be held back? Um, but I, my brain kind of keeps going back to this thought that, you know, if, if the premier league was starting today, right. And, and Mm -hmm. a bunch of billionaires, millionaires came together and they said, here's what we're going to do. Da, 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 da. And then you're going to say, Oh, and by the way, yeah, you could be in a lower league as soon as nine months. And those businessmen and owners would look at you and go, you're crazy. Like, why would I all of this capital up front, uh, only to know that there's a, a decent percentage chance that I could, I could lose it by just losing on the field. Not to mention how much you're losing, um, you know, off the field as well with, you know, how much it takes to build up a club. I mean, look at Minnesota right now, um, Minnesota United, you know, everybody's kind of punching them right now for, you know, not spending a ton of money and getting these player acquisitions. Well, guess what? They're spending millions upon millions upon millions, hundreds of millions to build that beautiful brand new stadium that we're all looking forward to. Atlanta didn't have to build a stadium. You know, they just moved in to the Falcons, you know, home that their, their owner built for them. Um, and that's why that's one of the reasons, not the, but one of the reasons Atlanta I think is so free spending out there. And I give them a ton of credit. They're, they are, they are leading the, this new wave charge in, in MLS, but you know, should we expect teams in, in smaller cities and towns to be able to compete with what Atlanta is throwing out now and what the galaxy has thrown out and what LAFC is going to do at NYCFC? I don't know. And I don't know if American soccer can, can really handle slash care about a top tier league MLS that is constantly in fluctuation and, and dealing with, wow, we got this new club here, but the biggest stadium they have in their town or the 20 mile radius is, is 5,000. Right. I mean, not right, right. every city has got a, a stadium that's, that's big enough to really hold what you would want um, for an EPL team or an MLS team. So I, I think there's a, a lot of, I just feel like there's a lot of potholes on that path sure. right now down the road. I, I do think it's something that, that we should continue to consider and continue to look at and find a structure. And you know what? I think my guess is that if somebody asked me about how they would go about it, I, I would say, well, let's try this pro rel. Cause well, look, you know, NASL is, is bantering on about pro rel, pro rel, pro rel. They don't even have it. Right. They're, they're mm-hmm, lucky to have a mm-hmm. league right now. And I'm not trying to knock down NASL. I was a big fan of them. Um, and, and that they really were my gateway to professional soccer as a kid. Um, so maybe we need to come up with this, you know, tiered level in USL and NPSL and whatever it is. Say, all right, well, you win X. You've got a chance to move up here with these sure. kind of smaller clubs, smaller budget clubs that, that can sustain it and can um, handle that growth because that's not a huge step these are like incremental steps and let's see how that goes um and if that goes well then i think yeah maybe maybe we do do need to talk to the big boys and again mls is still a baby it's still an infant it's still trying to you know find its way um you know to grade school you know it's still really in kindergarten if you look at it compared to the big leagues in in the world there so i know a lot of people are, are jumping on mls and saying you're holding you're holding these people back and why not open the pro well, you know, there's a part of me that's saying, look, MLS is just trying to survive to the next day. And yeah. I love that league. They're trying to grow. They're trying to get stronger. They're trying to increase their brand. Um, they're, they're overworked and understaffed as it is. Uh, and now you want to add this component. I, I think it really muddies the water at this moment in the American uh, soccer landscape, but I, I'm not opposed to, 
continuing to talk about it. And, you know, maybe down the road in another 5, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, this is a discussion that has to happen and, mm-hmm. and action mm-hmm. should be taken. Well, it, it's interesting. I think a lot of us who are rational soccer guys realize nothing's going to happen overnight. So, But there is a, a trend by obviously with your former colleague, Eric Winalda, you have other candidates, uh, Winograd, uh, Steve Gans, who've had some sort of ideas of pro-rel. Have you supported any U.S. soccer presidential candidates? Nope. 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 I haven't, and I, I won't. I knew all. It's not, I, yeah. I don't feel it's my place. Mm. Um, I admire all the candidates, you know, for sticking their neck out and, and fighting for something they believe in and, and uh, spending time and money and, and effort and energy away from their families uh, to do something for the good of the game. Um, I, I don't know enough about everybody's resume uh, to, to make a statement. Um, you know, my, my belief is that, and my hope is that, you know, in the end, the, the people who do have the voting will come to a proper decision. And, and my guess is that I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of the candidates come together and, and find a way to say, Hey, let's, let's become a team. You, you can yeah. still be the president, but I'm your, I'm your technical director. I'm your GM or I'm, I'm whatever. Let me handle the soccer stuff. And I, I think that's one of the main things I think, you know, I can't speak for Eric Winald, a, a longtime friend of mine, but right. yeah, I think that's one of his main things is he, he wants soccer guys, soccer guys mm-hmm. and gals involved. And, and I think we, we all do. I think it's been a little too administrative, um, over the last couple of decades, and it's time for real soccer people who, who've got the knowledge and the touch and the taste of the game in their DNA to be in a position where they can make some influence and can make some decisions that positively impact the sport here. Well, what do you make of the entire U.S. presidential election in the sense that do you think there's going to be a lot of change coming from whoever is elected? I don't. <laughs> I think, like <laughs> I said, I think there's going to be some, some cleanup surgeries, um, you know, some outpatient type stuff. But as far as, you know, major uh, bypass type stuff, I I don't see it uh, because I I don't think we're that far off. There are definitely some things that are wrong and can be uh, rectified and and tightened. And and again, I think a lot of it just goes back to the soccer side. Like Mm -hmm. I I just want Mm -hmm. some soccer people involved to say, guys, why are we doing A when we should really be doing B? Or at least let's let's look at this or, you know, Hey, this, this is working in Spain and Germany. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in our country, but maybe let's, let's try it out or let's try a, a starter program in Tucson, Arizona with this type of approach and, mm-hmm. and see how things work. So I think it's just time for some fresh blood, some, some new thinking um, and, and some, some creative uh, angles to, to attack some of the problems. And there's a lot of problems out there in U S soccer, but it's a big country. It's a mm-hmm. big mm-hmm. growing sport. That's, that's still kind of, I think getting its legs, but I, I think the baby giraffe stage is just about over for U.S. soccer. It's time for it's time for uh, Mama to run here. Uh, well, Rob, uh, you're a man who loves sports, and I must say, from our listeners and the Twitter world, they feel they have been cheated on when they see you talking about other sports other than you know soccer. <laughs> um, you've become an important yeah. figure in, in U.S. soccer. Uh, how, how does that feel? Um, it, it, it makes me smile, to be honest. Um, I love soccer. It's my DNA. It's my passion. But uh, I love uh, the outlet that college basketball and college football and some of the other sports that I've I've been fortunate enough to cover have have allowed me. I think it makes me uh, a better person at home and at work. Um, 
but I, I do smile when soccer people send me notes. What are you doing on my screen? Stop talking <laughs> about football. Start talking about soccer. And it, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of a, a reminder for me that, hey, you know, we've, we've made it. They recognize somebody as a soccer guy. You know, there weren't soccer guys uh, when I was growing up, really. And, and now we've got plenty of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, to me, I, I take it as a sign of the growth of the game. Oh, awesome. Well, Rob, thank you so much. Here on the show, we have our shameless plug, so just tell the listeners where they can find you, and obviously they should know that you're on Fox Sports, but your Twitter handle and anything else you'd like to plug. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I got a Twitter handle. I got some Instagram. It's no big deal. Just watch Fox Sports and FS1, and make sure you're watching the World Cup this summer. It's going to be a hell of a show. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Rob. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Rob. You know, Jake, uh, Rob Stone really carries the flag for U.S. soccer, and, and it's an, we, we're in a weird spot when it comes to any of this from the media. I mean, but his comment on how, go watch the World Cup kind of is like, I don't know, it's like a dog, and it hears something, and it the head suddenly pops up, and you're like, what, 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 what's going on? Because you obviously, as a human, don't hear what they, dogs hear. That, that, that's exactly my initial reaction when he said that, because it... It illustrates the failure of the men's national team and how it's going to economically kill Fox in the coverage. Because they spent a lot of money to get the rights for this World Cup, thinking the U.S. would be there. Right. You know, if it, it, you, you, I think you're 100% correct there because if the, world, if the U.S. did qualify for Russia, well, there'd be no need to, to say, go watch the World Cup this, this summer. Because instead, you wouldn't be saying that. You would... You'd be saying More go to so a bar be, and watch the game with everybody else, or you'd, you'd be saying let's let's you know let's try to get a win against Nation X, you know whatever whoever that first game would be in that in that yeah. group. You, you, every, you know everybody had a rooting interest until Trinidad and Tobago decided to end the hopes and dreams mm-hmm. of U.S. soccer fans everywhere. So that, that I mean that loss definitely put. Uh, Fox Sports behind the eight ball, if that's the right, uh, if that's the right phrase. I mean, it's it's not. It's yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's a good phrase saying it's behind the eight ball. But it's not Stone's job to market it. You know, that's not. It's not like I'm not picking on him for saying that. I just think it's like you can hear it in his voice, in in it, and it, it, it's not something that that we've had other media members on the show say similar things like. Crap! Not qualifying for the World Cup doesn't mean I'm not, like it means I'm not going to Russia anymore. It means that there are certain reporters, and a majority of them, who are just going to stay in America and cover the game from afar. You know, uh, it's still going to be a great World Cup. I think Fox is going to put a great package together. I think you know they've done a good job. You know, the Women's World Cup in 2015, the Confederations Cup, Copa America, they do a good job of putting it all together. That's not the issue. It's just the fact that you know a lot of neutral fans will not be watching this game because the USA f- failed to qualify and Stone and Fox are sitting there not saying like Stone apart but you know he is part of Fox and they're looking at the situation and realizing oh man this could you know put us under in, in some sense or one way or the, um right or in uh, various it, ways not not to mention too it, it, since it's in Russia all, all those games you know here in the western hemisphere you know you're going to have games on a random Tuesday morning that start at seven o'clock in the morning when people are getting up, getting ready to go to work. 
now and, those yeah. those casual fans have no reason really now to take off work and, and at least watch the U.S. because well, the U.S. isn't going. So, I mean, Rob Stone and Fox have every reason to try their best to you know market the, game, the World yeah. Cup. I mean, it, it, it's going to promote, I think, amongst soccer fan, fans, fine. It's the national audience that you are now losing. You know, those if the USA had qualified, especially with the rise of Christian Pulisic and, and the stardom that is behind him, and, and probably in this upcoming summer there would have been a transfer saga with him. Manchester United, I bet you Real Madrid will be linked with him. Probably one of the uh, another English club, Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool. Uh, they're all going to be surrounding his name. So you have the off the field conversation. You have the dynamic of the United States playing in Russia after the presidential election. The Trump ties, Trump not ties, whatever fake news, this that. I mean, you're talking about an entire cluster bleep of media and sports and politics colliding in one spot at one moment which would have been awesome but nope we couldn't get the draw in Trinidad and Tobago and yeah but uh moving on to something else Rob Stone said is his uh reaction to um the promotion and relegation talk that got him fired up didn't it yeah he he, he, seemed... he kind of like when he got rolling uh, when when we brought up you know would it would it benefit US soccer and MLS to have an open open system. Well, it, it's interesting because at first he was no, and then he kind of shifted because he realized he was putting himself in a corner, which he didn't want to, which is really easy to do in a situation like this. He, I think, if you listen carefully, it's no at first because it's not realistic, and I understand. Like, if you're an owner, why would you want to? That's his argument. And, mm-hmm. But he, I think he would like to see it. I think from Fox's point and his coverage of the game, it'd be fascinating as hell. The problem is we have the economics, and then the solution would be some sort of long time, a long term goal that would be spanning, you know, at least a decade to get to the position of having promotion relegation. <clears throat> yeah, I, it. His his answer was it, it calculated because I think Rob Stone, I think Rob he I think Rob wants to see ProRel, I think he's a fan of ProRel, but I think he knows deep down it's it's not possible right now, and I'm not even sure ten years from now it's even yeah, possible. I mean I think he has the sentiments of a lot of U.S. soccer enthusiasts who actually know what the game is. I mean we put a poll out on Twitter, and it got you know. Well over eighty percent, yes, promotion relegation. But if you read the comments below, it was no, it's not realistic. But yeah, everybody would like to see it. So it, I don't. It's very few who say no. Like no, maybe if you're an MLS owner, you're straight out no. But you have economic reasons to say no. I mean, yeah, there. Are, I think there are very few people fans who are going to say no and i don't know if what that what their reasons are short of this is mls it's an american league mm-hmm. let's americanize it we don't have promotion relegation in the nba mlb the nfl why does mls need it um no i mean i i would if 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 winalda or any of these presidential candidates had a very viable option for promotion relegation i'd be all for it the problem is 
like I said, it it's it's going to take years. I'm not talking five years. I don't think it would even take 10 years. It might be 20, 30 years down the road from now. You, you just you, you need to build up those lower divisions so much. You can't be having, you know, these these teams. I mean, granted, they got teams like Cincinnati or who are selling out, you know, college football stadiums. But you know, you have some teams like North Carolina FC who probably don't play to a crowd any bigger than 10,000 people. You can't have them come up and then lose lose a, a team like let's just throw out a name uh seattle who plays in the big market who's playing to 30 40 sometimes fifty thousand yeah. fans a game mm-hmm. you know how does that impact uh, mls's bottom line granted now if you had pro rally you, you might say well people were more interested in, in watching these games you know where two bad teams are playing but i mean how much how much more does that move the needle for mls mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. tv ratings and i think that's I mean that, and that's what's going to come down to is just mm-hmm. if you want pro role in this country, the culture needs to be there, and and that's something you you and Armand really beat the drum on on the show is soccer culture, and that's that's not there right now. Until people are ready to watch an MLS game like they are an NFL game, where you you see two terrible teams playing on a Monday night football game, until people night. or Thursday night, until people. Until people want to want to watch uh, a bad DC United team play a bad LA Galaxy team or you know whoever, um, until until we get to that point, I just I, I I don't see how we ever get to promotion relegation beyond like a, beyond the second division. I, I could see USL implementing it and yeah. in, in leagues like that. I just I just don't see how uh, MLS how MLS does it. You know, unless unless they are. Their hand is ultimately forced. I mean, we, we talked about this off air about basically making MLS a unsanctioned league. That's the only way I could see that ever happening. Yeah, you you have to put some sort of economic terms on these and, and make it where it is it is more the risk isn't you know the the risk and reward is the risk is low lower than it it would be to just open the system up. The problem is we don't even have the infrastructure. I mean. MLB, what we Armand and I discussed a couple uh, episodes ago, baseball is a much better stage to implement promotion relegation because I I don't even know what the number is, but I could probably guarantee you ninety nine percent of those clubs in the amateur leagues up to the professional leagues play in a baseball stadium. If you don't have soccer teams playing at baseball stadiums or high school football stadiums, that's not going to work. You will have to have the infrastructure for a soccer club to have their own stadium. That's why it works in other leagues, in the Premier League, because they all have soccer stadiums. So it's mm-hmm. a real fascinating. But I think Stone Stone's a great guy because he really loves the sport, and you can hear it in his voice. So when he talks about promotion and relegation, it almost tears his heart apart because he's one side he's got the fan in him, the other side is the business, and then there's the, oh, I'm, I'm going to be you know uh, objective about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's he's definitely passionate about the game, which I think is what we what we need more of in, in the media. Um, I mean, you could hear it in his voice how excited he was just for how you know the direction MLS is going in right now. You know, talking about the haves and have-nots and this yeah, it's starting influx to, of extra yeah. money in the league right now. I mean, MLS is starting to take a shape. Like you, you're starting to see. Uh, a divide and you're starting to see the class acts and you're going to you know the have nots and the underdogs and 
the old it's, man of the, you know, say LA yeah. Galaxy versus the LAFC is going to be fascinating because you have that. You're starting to see the league develop uh, an image. Yeah, right? it's evolving. It's no longer that retirement league. It doesn't have that stigma really anymore. Yeah. It's now it's it's becoming you, you know a league where you have these young up and coming South American uh, players who want to play for play in MLS, and that's. That, that's that's a hell of a lot better than where they were, you know, five, six, seven years ago when, you know, you're bringing over 36-year-old European midfielder guy. I, I can't, I don't know, Andre, Andre Pirlo. Pirlo. I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's Frank, there, Lampard. Frank Lampard. I mean, and that wasn't even five years ago. That was three, four years ago, you know? So they're, they're in a much better position now than they were just a few years ago. No, yeah. But uh, there you have it, listeners. Rob Stone joining the program. We've been wanting to get him on for a couple of months. It just saw up in the beat. I guess today, uh, listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Stephen Jodder and Jake Watroba. Jake, I'll let you have the closing words here. Yeah, uh, thanks again to Rob Stone for taking time out of his his day to you know yeah, sit down kids. with us and yeah 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 he was on his I think he was on his way to pick up his kids from school or yeah, something like that something like that. So once again, thank you, Rob, so much for taking the time to talk soccer with us. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. follow me on Twitter at Jake Watroba, J-A-K-E-W-A-T-R-O-B-A. It's just my full name. Very simple. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Come for the Wolves hot takes. Stay for the complaints about Minnesota United Football Club. There you go. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us. Next week we'll probably be back to our normal lineup, but I can't say that uh, Jake has filled in well for our month. I'm coming for you, Armand. There you go. Armand, watch out. You're on the hot seat. Anyway, listeners, until next time, take care. Cool fight. Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.